and welcome to Series 2 of The Dirt. This episode is sponsored by giftstoyou.com, the place where gifts mean more. Did you know that Grow Your Own has its own fabulous gardening shop at Gifts To You? Head to giftstoyou.com to start exploring. But now, back to the episode. This is the podcast that understands that this season's fails are next season's compost. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Blake, Laura's deputy. Coming up, we'll be joined by editorial assistant Rose to talk about not mowing your lawn and underwater plants. But before that, we're thrilled to have gardening queen of the screen, Frances Tophill with us. Hi, Frances. Hello. Hi, Frances. <laughs> How are Hi. you today? Good, good. Yes, I'm uh, woken up to a rainy morning, which was quite lovely. Um, and now the sun's beginning to come out. So it's a, uh, yeah. Good, good old day. <laughs> yeah, I think the plants are really happy with that, aren't they? They're like, we've had our had a good watering and now the sun is here. Exactly. I think it's me as well. I just said something about waking up to the sound of rain on the window, um, which is amazing. And then, but I always want to spend the day then watching films. And then when the sun comes out, it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh no, I've got to yeah. go and do something. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. Um, obviously, we, at the time of recording, are still in some form of lockdown so how have you been coping with that and how would you say your garden has helped you during that time um I think uh massively uh it's it's been a really obviously for everyone weird spring I'm very anxious for lots of people I know I'm like massively maybe a bit less anxious now but but at the beginning like you know, my, my mom and my dad and like not going to see anyone and you know mm. it's bit so I've been as everyone has been stuck in the house um and I'm renting a really tiny little terrace house with a really tiny and quite grim concrete garden yard mm. really mm. is what I would say it was um, but on the flip side, which I think also a lot of people are feeling, there's this time. And oh my God, normally in the spring, I'm, at, you know, I, I look in my diary and it's like, oh, I'd be at Chelsea today, or mm. I was going to open Benham Palace Flower Show today. or And you just think, oh my God, I have time <laughs> to do any of those things, um, which I'm actually really enjoying and have had this time to do my garden, which has been a real joy. And now, I mean, obviously, I'm a gardener, so it's never finished. I'm always tweaking <laughs> and looking and thinking, oh, I need to move that or change that or cut that. Or, But it's um, it's a green oasis now, which it was just concrete bare. It had astroturf in one corner over the concrete. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, now it's just full of greenery. And I, I love it. I think some people, when they're renting as well, um, they're sort of not sure what to do, how much time to put into it, because you don't always know how long you're going to be in a house and that kind of thing but I guess this spring with extra time it's just kind of been like you wanted it to be as nice as possible totally I mean I don't know how long I'm going to be here and if I'm honest when I first moved in I was not going to do anything I had I bought these amazing big blue and white pots at Hampton Court Flower Show last I know it's a Tatton Tatton Flower Show last year and I filled them back in I think I moved in in January and I went to a local wholesale nursery and I bought some shrubs and some herbaceous perennials and I just filled these five big pots mm-hmm. and that was all mm-hmm. I was going to do. And then when the lockdown happened, um, I was like, right, okay, I need to get this a bit better. And then luckily um, ITV, because we would normally be making Love Your Garden in the spring, yeah, yeah. Um, that was cancelled, obviously, because Alan is 
I won't say how old, but he would not thank me. <laughs> but he is technically, you know, supposed to not be going out and about. And um, yeah. uh, and also a lot of the people that we work with have underlying health conditions. So there was just no way we could film Love Your Garden. Mm. And so ITV commissioned instead a programme that we would all do our own gardens um, and grow kind of produce. And I think they kind of gulped when they saw what my garden actually looked like. They were like, we cannot film this garden. It's grim. And I was like, okay, that's fine. We'll make it good. <laughs> so it's, it was amazing. You know, I've actually been working really hard, like being paid to actually do my garden, which is amazing because it means I can pay my rent. There was definitely a point when I thought I'm going to have to move out in lockdown with no removal companies working because mm. I have no work. Suddenly I have a bit of work and I get a garden as well. So it's been it's been a real um, privilege and I'm very lucky, I think, is all I can say. <laughs> um, so looking at a sort of broader spectrum of your time gardening, can you tell us about any of your real successes in the garden, things that have really stood out that you're really proud of? Well, I am in a funny position because I um, this is actually my first proper garden and it's only rented of, of my own. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of people, I think I, I've never really um, been in a position to be able to afford anywhere that has a decent sized garden. Uh, when I was training, I was living with my mum and she has a nice size garden, but it's hers <laughs> and it's like hands off. Um, and then I lived in uh, Scotland as a student. I lived down in Devon and I did actually have a tiny garden there, but it was literally on the sea front. So um, whenever there were big waves, they would land in the front garden and just kill <laughs> everything. So this is kind of like my first proper garden. So my gardening normally is for clients, um, people with big gardens that can't look after them. And I'm just, I do maintenance gardening mm-hmm. um, or working with community um, charities and things like that. I, I, when I was down in the Southwest, I was working with a couple, um, a mental health charity and a, a market garden for adults with learning disabilities. And so my kind of gardening is very much just like maintenance, jobbing, gardening, and rather than for myself Mm. so I don't have many kind of major kind of successes in my own gardens um but I would say that the thing that's in the last few years with having an allotment and then having this garden here is I'm getting a real love for herbs Mm. it's a real kind of they take care of themselves they keep the soil structure really good um they grow without you having to do anything and they look incredible the textures of them the scent of them the the way you can use them I'm very into what you can use they're really underrated aren't Mm. they I think just that they look so nice and I don't think people always appreciate that completely I mean I've I've got loads of herbs in my garden for now for this for this um program it's all about growing your own and my thing was I wanted lots of herbs and then um ITV also wanted me to have lots of flowers to make it colorful and I found as soon as we finished the filming I was just like I don't want these flowers I took them all out and I've (laughs) just got now green different shades of green and textures um of of herbs and they just look incredible i think they're just yeah like you say completely underrated as as a group of plants um so you mentioned working with community projects and community gardens yeah. that must be a really satisfying thing sharing the love of gardening and helping other people get the best out of it yeah i think it's also quite good for gardeners to be have it in perspective that gardening is not necessarily that important for everybody else <laughs> i think it's, it's it facilitates something else in people which is um kind of building team work and mm. um enjoying each other's company and i remember this when i first started gardening that like it was the first job i'd ever had um where you could chat to people 
you know, yeah. you could sing songs together whilst you were working. I remember us all doing the whole Grease soundtrack when I was an apprentice <laughs> and just like working through the whole thing. Mm. You know, it's it's a real, um, it's about people gardening as much as it's about gardening. And we all have that time when we go out and just by ourselves do some pottering, listen to the birds singing and get that solitude mm. that we all need. Um, and we've had a lot of it this year. Yeah. Um, but it's, there is more to gardening that. And working with communities really reminds you that it, it brings so much more to other people than just, you know, the geekiness that I enjoy of growing a plant that you've maybe struggled to grow before or, you know, of, of watching something shoot and potting it on, that kind of hands in the dirt satisfaction. It's not about that for everybody. For mm. some people, it's just about feeling useful or making friends or having a chat with somebody or having a laugh with somebody or just being outside. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's a good thing for gardeners who can get very fixated about plants and gardens to just be reminded of what other things are important in our jobs yeah I think that's so true even in my growing situation I've got a terraced house with a sort of long thin garden and I grow (laughs) in that so I don't have the allotment camaraderie but what we've really discovered around here is my next door neighbours have got an allotment and the house behind ours, they grow loads of veg in their greenhouse and their garden. And it has, as you say, created a little community between us where we're always swapping plants and seeds and harvests in the end. Mm-hmm. And I do genuinely think I don't know if I would know my neighbours as well without having that common link. Totally. I think you probably wouldn't. And it's so nice to sort of just have that like, oh, have you tried this one? Have you tried this one? Oh, this one didn't work. Also, in your neighbourhood, that's really useful because things that grow well in your garden probably will grow well in your neighbour's garden <laughs> too and vice versa. So it's actually a really, if you're beginning in gardening, asking your neighbours what they're growing is a really good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. It just makes for good small talk as well. We love talking about the weather, us Brits, don't we? We know we're famous for it. But actually, I'm finding the more and more stuff I grow, the more everybody wants to talk about it, especially at the moment. They're just like, it's such a good topic of conversation as a conversation starter with anyone. So It's gone mad, hasn't it? I mean, this is the thing. I I sat in a queue for a website earlier in the year when I was trying to buy seeds for the allotment. People have been going crazy for gardening and it's so cool, you know, that even if they're just growing them themselves in a yogurt pot or whatever they're doing with the kids doing homeschool and showing them how plants germinate and how the roots grow and what for whatever reason if people are this year engaging in gardening and being outside and connecting with nature that's such a great upshot of this whole horrible situation that we've all found ourselves in this spring yeah absolutely um you're talking about nature just then obviously your new book is quite focused on um nature and rewilding specifically so I'd love to hear a little bit about that I've seen it and it looks beautiful <laughs> the illustrations and stuff are amazing so yeah it's, it's an amazing read so I'd love to hear a bit more yeah well it was it was really nice to write it as well actually because when I've written books before I have to think about where the photographs are going to be and it's very easy to just spout off all these amazing ideas in your head about what <laughs> yeah. would look fantastic and then you realise you've got to you've got photos to find me. that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no I made this up um whereas this with Joe's illustrations it's just like I could just really concentrate on the writing and not worry about about all that imagery stuff as well and and it's just so beautiful mm. <laughs> like you say it's come back and it's like wow so yeah it, it's been a real a real pleasure to write this book and to research this book and to you know I've, I've for a long time um become more and more aware of how 
you know, I, my my degree is in in horticulture, but with a very heavy emphasis on conservation and botany. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've always been very aware of that as part of my job as a gardener is to be a kind of custodian of the whatever the patch of land that I'm looking after. I don't spray chemicals. I haven't for years. I don't use peat. I haven't for years. So I'm, I've always been very aware of that kind of environmental element. And I think there is a myth that growing is green. And it does not always necessarily follow. You know, if you're spraying loads of chemicals, if you're buying plants in from who knows where, mm. then you're not always actually really helping your carbon footprint just inherently because you're gardening. And so to look into that more was really, really fascinating. And speaking with people and over the last few years, I've spoken with a lot of people who are kind of um, professors of now, I always want to say entomology or etymology. I never can remember. Um, insects, <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> yes. I'm dyslexic, so I struggle with these things. Um, but yeah, so, and, and just hearing about how if you actually nurture all the different insects and creatures in your garden, then you won't actually have to rely on chemicals and things because the ecosystem that you create will be a balanced one and hopefully pest-free. And there are kinds, kind of like tricks that you can do to stop pests from finding your veg and eating your plants uh, without resorting to killing things or using chemicals which is Mm. quite amazing so I just wanted to kind of open people's eyes to that and the thought that gardens do not have to look like we imagine them looking Um, my sister's just moved into her first house in Coventry and she's been sending me pictures of the garden she's designing for it and it looks like you know a lawn in the middle borders down the edge Mm -hmm. you know it, it looks like you draw a picture of a garden as a kid and that's what it is. And actually gardens are so varied and I've seen some amazing gardens where people just put some really cool structures in to create pathways and areas, but then they do nothing to the plants. They just let them do what they want to do and they look amazing. And it's just making people think about it in a different way. It does not need to look like we imagine a garden should be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that brings it back around to sort of gardens fitting in with your life as well and how much time you've got and what you want to get out of it because I think the have a lawn in the middle and beds round the edge as you say is great if that's what you want but can actually be quite time consuming to maintain and Mm -hmm. not everybody has that time so I think it's important to show people that you don't actually have to have a garden as you would imagine it or as you say that you would how you would draw a garden you can do what you want and experiment a bit and there are also ways of doing that if that is what you want because a lot of people do if you have kids or if you have pets you may just want a lawn but it the about in the book it's sort of trying to take the different areas of the garden and what we might want from them and look at them and go well look how can you do that thing that you want but make it a little bit more um, species rich and varied and offer more of, of a habitat for different insects so like with a lawn for example rather than saying that you just want grass because we put ourselves under a huge amount of pressure to succeed in whatever we do in gardening and we mm. need not do that I think so you know rather than having a lawn that when there's moss appearing or there's daisies appearing or there's clover appearing we dig it up we spray it with broadleaf herbicide we rake up all the moss, we re-sow all the seeds of the grass. But rather than that, why don't we just give ourselves a break and go, actually, do you know what? Let the clover be there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then also be aware that that clover is a fantastic source of nectar for bees and other pollinators. 
And so by just rethinking those those areas of the garden so that we have a bit more time to focus on other things, we're also making a massive difference to the habitat that the insects need, which is just outside our doors. Yeah. So it's that kind of just slightly, no, so not full rewilding, unless you want to, <laughs> but kind of just letting nature come in a little bit in certain areas and providing for insects, creatures, birds that we might want to encourage to our gardens. I feel like um, selling it as making your life a bit easier actually will resonate with a lot of people. So that's probably quite a good angle to go down. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all been very nice so far, but as you may know, on the dirt, we like to find out about the things that go wrong as well as the things that are going right. So um, have you had any real fails or things that have not quite gone to plan on the plot? So many. Um, I think (laughs) that gardening is a learning process and um, I, th- I think the biggest one was, as I was mentioning before, when I lived down in Devon, right by the sea, um, I grew up on the Kent coast, like, you know, 30 second walk from the beach. And I did my dissertation at uni about coastal planting. Mm-hmm. So when I moved down to Devon, I was like, I've got this guy. I'm going to make <laughs> the best garden ever on, this, on the coast. And it was just an epic fail. <laughs> like everything I planted... Um, I put sea kale, sea lavender, um, sea holly, um, and just everything I planted would immediately die as soon as there was a storm and any waves landed. And oh, no. it was a really, um, it was quite tough, actually. It took a lot of kind of resilience for me to keep going, um, but was really good eye opener. And like, as I said, you learn from the mistakes that every place, every coast is not the same, you know, and we learn this. We, we gardeners, when, you know, when I go to a client's garden, they are an expert in their garden. Mm-hmm. You, like, so sometimes it's, you know, you'll say something and they're like, oh, no, that won't grow there. I tried that before. And it's like, oh, right, okay. And, you know, they know it better than you know it because yeah. every patch of the earth is so varied. And so you can't go to Devon and go, I can do coastal planting in Kent, so I'm going to do coastal planting in Devon. It's completely different conditions, soil type. And so it was a very good humbling lesson for me to be like, okay, I need to actually take my time. And it took me years living there before I got to grips with what would and wouldn't grow. Mm -hmm. Um, I think everyone probably has similar stories. It's just not everyone lives where the waves land on the house. (laughs) So it was quite an extreme lesson. But there are so many. Last year, I put up a greenhouse on my allotment. It wasn't 100% level. And I want to say I put it up, but actually my dad really took charge of the project and he got bored quite quickly. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not naming names, <laughs> but <laughs> that might be why it wasn't 100% level. So every time there was wind, which there is a lot because it's on the marsh, um, I would lose five or six panes of glass. And then in February, when we had those big storms, the whole greenhouse collapsed. <laughs> so, oh, no. Yeah, we all make mistakes. Yeah. yeah it's all right though it's a challenge because in that situation I need to work out what to do there instead um you know I could I've thought about maybe doing a sunken greenhouse and digging down and sort of building it so it's not quite so exposed or just building my own greenhouse out of old this was the plan before lockdown and all the shops closed I was <laughs> going to go to the local window shop and conservatory fitters and see if they had any spare French windows that I could um buy or have um, and make mm. my own but you know all, all things to mull over for when the world goes back to normal <laughs> I think gardening definitely does make people really creative in that sort of way as well I think you often maybe before you start out gardening can't ever imagine thinking about saving 
as you say old windows or old bits of wood for raised beds and stuff but then as mm-hmm. soon as you start gardening you get a whole new perspective on reusing and recycling and upcycling as well you become so resourceful don't you totally with everything I literally cannot walk past a pallet without stopping <laughs> going um do I need that for anything and then I have to go no 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 I already have four I have four sitting in the alleyway outside my house <laughs> I have no idea what I'm gonna do with them yeah. in fact I think my brother-in-law asked if I knew anyone with pallets the other day so I think I'm gonna give them to him but it is that thing like I cannot what you don't know, not have a palette just in case I might want to have a project or make a little shelving or I don't know I don't even know what but it does make you, you just need it there just in, in case yeah. <laughs> exactly you understand <laughs> for when inspiration strikes <laughs> yeah now I'm trying to do uh move towards no dig I'm like hoarding mm-hmm. cardboard at all times oh. so yeah <laughs> somebody will get a delivery down the street and I'll be like I'll take that off your hands yes I know I had the same thing I went up to my neighbors the other day they had this they must have ordered a tv or something they had a massive cardboard box excuse me do you need this (laughs) start to get a bit of reputation don't you but I know and then you know as much as we need the rain and then it rains on the cardboard and you have to start again So bringing you on to our next point, we like to ask our guests if you have discovered any cheeky swerves or little growing shortcuts that you've discovered that give you really great results. Yes, I think the the main thing that's changed my gardening life is the discovery that if you stick an awful lot of plants into water on the windowsill, they put roots on. And I used to spend so much time because um, I love propagating things, uh, trying cuttings, uh, you know, different times of year in different mixes of compost um, and, you know, some successes, but a lot of failures. And this method of just taking a, as a normal cutting, you know, cutting at a leaf node, moving the lower leaves, pinching out the growing tip, stick it in a glass of water, leave it for a week or two weeks or three weeks on the windowsill and you have a plant and you put it into compost and it grows really well. Mm-hmm. It's like the cheapest and you can just throw away the ones that don't take but they mostly do I I think that's my big revelation in the last few years yeah water who knew just (laughs) stuff (laughs) yeah that's um, free plants we actually had an experiment with something like that um about a month or so ago one of my tomato plants obviously the best tomato plant of course got decapitated and I thought do you know what rather than chuck it in the compost I'm just going to stick the top in some water and see what happens and now Mm -hmm. it's back in a pot and it's got lots of little tomatoes on it and I thought that's another thing about like we were saying earlier about being at home I had the time to think I can put that in some water and try again rather than thinking oh there's no time let's just chuck it on the compost heap and as you say it really it put on its roots really really quickly and is doing really well now so I think it's amazing it's great to to experiment and see see what can happen because you don't lose anything if it doesn't work (laughs) in fact you gain some stuff often I had um I have a dog and he's he I've put some hoops up now but he create this little run right through the flower I have very 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 small garden and the flower bed is is very precious and very tiny but he had sort of like created this tunnel right through the middle of it and the rock hyssop was his entrance point so he just kept stepping on my rock (laughs) knocking off all these lovely woody branches and um I just um 
did what you did. And I chopped off all the bits, I pulled up all the bits, hid broken off, chopped off all the tops, stuck them in water. And now I have like 20 rock hyssop plants all rooted <laughs> and growing. So actually what starts off as being something that could be a disaster turns into a real little bonus. And I now, you know, have extras. So yeah, it's, um, it's just a really cool discovery. I, but problem is it does make your windowsills always full of <laughs> water and loads of plants but if you can deal with that then it's fine <laughs> yeah there's definitely worse things than lots of plants on the windowsill I agree so what we normally like to finish on with people is in your in your gardening career so far has there been one big takeaway that you would share with people one thing that you think is either the biggest lesson that you've learned or the most important thing that you've taken away from your experience so far um there are so many things that you learn and then relearn and then get reminded of again you know that I I, I think if I can pick two can I pick two <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll let, you, we'll let you pick two <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, the one thing um, I've always been amazed by is, as I said, with working with communities and working with school kids, um, is how how natural gardening is for people. I think we we live in this crazy world that we've we've all had our eyes open to a little bit um, during the lockdown and everything. That we've realised how busy we all are all the time, shopping, you know, working constantly and now that we have a bit more time we we have realized what it's like having time Mm -hmm. um and it's I think in that busyness we lose sight of of nature in a big way and I've always been amazed um how every one of us is in some way not in the same way but kind of responds to nature you know by getting really in on the science of it and looking at the way things are made up or just by being outside and listening to the birds or or by actually actively creating or building or whatever but I think I've always been amazed that kids of all ages adults of all kinds just have this inherent understanding of nature that we sort of have forgotten ourselves Mm. because we're so busy doing other things that's that's the first thing and the other thing I think that I've learned is that if people do what they like they're going to now it sounds obvious, but they're going to enjoy it a lot more. <laughs> yeah. And I think with gardening, we just always make ourselves feel we should be doing this, or I should be doing that. I have to do this. Oh, the weeding needs doing. I don't want to do. It. Oh, I better do it though. You know, all this like I should. And um, if people do the tasks they enjoy and just like leave other bits, it doesn't matter if you have a few weeds if you don't like weeding, or you know, grow plants that they say if you like cooking or if you like sewing then grow some things you can cook with or grow some plants you can dye fabric with or like whatever it is if you enjoy something then grow those things Mm. use the things that you want to use don't just conform to what you think you should do that's that's the big thing everyone will enjoy it if they just do it at a level that they enjoy and if you're not enjoying it then stop you know that's it it should not be horrible and a chore it should be something no, it's only a garden. <laughs> is, that, is that the overarching thing? Like, on the one hand, we all love nature and we need it. But on the other hand, it's only a garden. Yeah, have some perspective. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and best of luck with the new book. I can't wait for everybody to read it. Um, and, oh, thank and, you. Yeah, and everything else you're doing. Yeah, thank Thanks, you. Francis. That was really great talking to you. And we'd better get Rose on the line, who has an interesting story about underwater plants, I've heard. 
Is that our new theme tune? Wait, is this for real? Are we? Sorry, have I just? What's going on? Are we? I don't know. Oh my goodness. Well, Rose, we'll have to bring this background to a slightly more serious topic. Would you be able to tell us a bit more about the underwater growing? I can, yeah. So um, it's an article that I found on Divers Net, which I'm not really sure how I got to because <laughs> I don't dive. <laughs> I'm Actually, I can't dive because I have a heart condition, so I'm banned forever from oh. diving. But that's, yeah, I know. It's, I can't, it's a long explanation. I'm fine though, by the way. I'm okay. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Yeah, um, basically it's called Deep Gardening and it was the photograph that was um, the winner actually of this year's United Nations World Oceans Day photo competition. The theme um, was innovation for a sustainable ocean and it's an experiment that's called Nemo's Garden. Um, I don't know if any anyone's heard of it before, but it's pretty much just gardening underwater. Wow. And what it is, is there's six air-filled biospheres as they're called um they're at the bottom of the ocean i think in northern italy and they're a bit like um like hydroponics so they um produce fresh water through condensation and are powered by solar and wind energy but so yeah basically like bubbles but underwater where they've got like uh strawberries herbs uh lettuces tomatoes all growing under there happily um and someone's taken a photograph of this sort of underwater shot of lettuce I think or it's basil might be and someone tending to it at the bottom of the ocean but I had never heard of underwater gardening like we've talked about space gardening (laughs) before um but not underwater gardening but yeah it was it's cool it's really really cool and it was the winner of the competition and there's actually quite a few videos on it and I think the reason why they're doing it actually is because it's all about um how we can grow plants in extreme conditions like underwater Mm. so if we can grow them underwater and develop that technology then we can use that for things like growing in space and there might come a time where you know the world might not be okay for us to grow things on um so we might have to look to the bottom of the ocean to grow that's amazing i guess there's also parts of the world right now that um you know their land isn't set up yeah particularly the climate isn't right for certain things but perhaps if they've got the sea right next door then there's a you know fantastic space and opportunity to you know harness that yeah it's such an amazing idea um and when you said bubbles they're like little pods aren't they they're like um little like a little ecosystem all in one like i don't think they've actually got water in them like so the plants obviously aren't drenched they're just like normal underwater bubbles or that can have all these things happening on them but yeah i don't know how they do it on a mass scale because it's they're very small. I think over time, once the technology got good, they could you could maybe have like huge underwater sort of greenhouses almost yeah. full of plants. I mean, obviously you've got to dive down there. And it's, but <laughs> yeah, I'm it's just a, off to the greenhouse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Be back in a house, out and you're going out in your wetsuit. <laughs> um, yeah, it's cool. So definitely check it out if you're interested in um, the project. Yeah, it's created. Yeah. They're called 
Ocean Reef. That's the um, like the organisation. If you're interested, in, that's so in interesting, it. though. And I think I saw the YouTube video that um, that you sent across, and it had the thing about how plants outside can get really the temperature can get really hot in the day and then really cold in the night and then not have any rain for ages and it looked like being underwater makes the temperature more consistent maybe I guess it's almost like a little greenhouse as well isn't it like the way the sunlight yeah goes through the water I'm not a scientist (laughs) that's probably coming across they must have lights in them surely because otherwise like they wouldn't be able to grow Maybe they're really, really, really deep sea and you have, you know, those like really, really, really deep sea fishes that have fishes the Fish creepy ones. that have the like light on their head on a weekly <laughs> yeah. thing. You know? I love them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are they called maybe angel fish? Maybe that's how you light your greenhouse. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you just plant them in like where loads of those hang out and then they can just like, yeah, provide your light. That's a really, my yeah. number one reference for this is that I watched Finding Dory the other day. So that's like my whole knowledge of underwater life <laughs> is from that. <laughs> I was sure literally just it. thinking about Finding Nemo because that fish is from Finding Nemo, isn't it? With the light yeah, that dangles right. down and it tries to eat Nemo. No, Nemo's dad. <laughs> so you were saying that it's watered via condensation. I mean, it does seem a bit silly to talk about watering something in the sea. Underwater. But yeah. yeah, as you were saying it, is sort of a bubble and it gets watered via condensation was it yeah and wind energy i don't know where they get the wind from maybe above water (laughs) 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 oh no we're off and it's only episode one Um, yeah i've just looked it up actually um and i found a different article not on the divernet website that you Uh. (laughs) on the guardian um they said that the fresh water is created th- obviously through the hydroponic system, but through desalination, like which is taking the salt out of the water, right? Yeah. Oh, I see. And then the drops condense on the roof and then drip back down. So it's kind of like this cool little system going on. Oh, my God, that's um, so the cool. other like thing, constant rain on it, on them, pretty much. I, well, I guess it just ups the humidity levels. In oh, the yeah. Pods, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and it does actually also address the sunlight thing. So. When it comes to sunlight, studies have shown that a majority of plants, although not seaweed, are dependent on the red spectrum in light for their development. Um, the red can filter out at depths of around 5 to 15 metres. So to address this, the pods are submerged 5 to 8 metres below the surface. So they are getting natural sunlight. Right, okay. They could potentially go deeper, it says, but more data is needed to work out the viability. Right, okay. Wow. So they're not... Oh, yeah, that's true, because here it says they're only 10 metres below the surface of the earth. Of the sea, yeah. that's not that deep. So I it? guess the long term plan would be how deep could they put them? Because then I guess it could be scaled up to even yeah be on a massive kind of like farming scale for a whole nation or something. Mm-hmm. But I think also it really does go to show that considering how much just plants in the garden have a drop if the conditions aren't quite right. Look, you can grow <laughs> underwater. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop being so um, annoying. And um, this has been a real like ocean themed thing because Frances was talking about living on the coast and how um, when there's a storm, her garden sometimes gets like waves splashing onto it and how that can cause all sorts of problems. Well, it just so happens that we have stuck with, we've sort of accidentally stuck with the themes that Frances chatted about with 
with a few of our stories today because I've actually found a story in The Guardian talking about not mowing your lawn so frequently. And I know that Frances is also obviously talking about rewilding with her new book and everything. And this article says that a survey by volunteers for the charity Plant Life found that 80% of lawns supported the equivalent of about 400 bees a day, attracted to nectar-rich flowers. But then, if you only cut your lawn once a month and give the other plants a chance to flower, which then boosts the nectar production, you can then attract about 4,000 bees a day. So that's an enormous... Wow, that... An enormous it makes uplift. such a difference. And also, it just so happened that it caught my eye because it's something that I'm thinking about in my own garden. There's a strip along the side that doesn't get the sun until quite later on in the day. And we have our garden bench there. And actually, no grass ever really grows there. You feel like you're fighting a losing battle. So we were actually saying that we're considering just letting that do what it wants and then maybe sowing a mix of wildflowers that don't mind a little bit of shade and then letting that do its thing so I think that's a really good idea just let it do its thing and if you're not going to do it put anything else there and grass isn't growing there why Mm. not use that space for something really good and positive yeah also I think it will be good because my garden is given over quite heavily to fruit and veg which obviously have quite specific flowering times so Offering a little little bit more, a few more options will be a good thing. But it also sort of brings me on to the fact that I don't know if you two have noticed this, but since lockdown, verges and roundabouts seem to have a lot more. Yeah, I was going to say that. They're really mm, just going mm. wild, aren't they? I'm not sure whether that's just because the usual people that would tend to them are not working at the moment, obviously. But yeah, they. I have noticed that. Mm. Yeah, I think it's nice. We should do more, I think. We don't really... I think it's so easy to sort of mow over everything and think that's how I like it. But wildflowers can look so nice in wild areas. And I was trying to grow some plants and I accidentally let them go to seed so and go to flower, mm-hmm. So, which wasn't my intention. But I was so shocked by the amount of pollinators and things that were coming round and swarming round. So if you just have a few little areas like you can do so much to boost the biodiversity it's insane like if you just do a little bit every now and again then you can really help and rose you you were also saying that your sister has a sort of wilder area in her garden doesn't she oh yeah yeah well I think it's more the fact that um she doesn't have time to sort of tend to it all the time but she when she first moved in she um said that she really wanted to just have a very wild area like she wanted to have sort of the sides all sort of wild flowers and things like that she did sow a lot of sort of the wildflower mixes and but she's also sort of put in like other more sort of formal plants and things like that but it's very wild and she has so much life there that you go there and and it is lovely and I think it's so nice especially in the summer when it's sort of all yes it might look a bit messy to some people but if you don't mind that then I think it's I think we need a culture shift on this a little bit like it's um and it might be a generational thing because I do feel like maybe younger generations are more open to the idea of having wilder I'm really generalizing right now but um 
that perhaps in time we'll see this gradually working its way in and more people will not think that lawns have to be just grass Mm -hmm. but they can be something slightly more wild Um, and I think the the whole astro fake grass is definitely less trendy now than it was um I think that might come on to your next point story Blake but how you know maybe I I saw that was a whole trend of like plastic fake grass but now I think the whole it's definitely been a bit of a shift in attitude totally. towards yeah. like natural natural grasses and and things like that. And actually just before we move on, I was gonna say um that the radishes that I was growing, I took some of them up and enjoyed them. They were really tasty. Oh, yeah. But um then before I knew it, the, the other the ones that I hadn't yet harvested were already going to flower. So mm. so I just leave them. Um, you can eat the pods and yeah. I was going to well, say, did you, you get so, any radish pods? Yeah, so I I did, and they were really nice. I'm mm. I'm actually now thinking that next time I might just grow them for that. Because <laughs> I think I like them more. Yeah, but um. Yeah, the flowers were really, really popular, is what I was going to say. So it's mm. funny, like something going wrong, but then you can just flip it on its head and mm. make it into something really positive, which yeah. is that the pollinators love it. Every time you said plant life there, and every time I read it, I can't not start singing the Blur song, Park Life. <laughs> just yeah. throwing it out there. I'm not going to sing yeah, it. Yeah, we don't want a copyright <laughs> strike. <laughs> <laughs> no exactly but like cannot say that charity's name without thinking of that no. moving on you were just saying about fake grass I my story this week is the top trends and the worst trends in the garden so this was some research that's been done by Draper Tools and I wondered I'll tell you what the most popular things in the garden are yeah frantically now looking for it <laughs> okay this is in metro the most popular things are number one, bird feeders, obviously. Yeah. Who doesn't love a bird feeder? Mm-hmm. Um, number two, a vegetable garden. Ooh. Number three, a water feature. Mm. So they were like the top three things that people love to see in a garden. As yeah, and they research. all feel quite oh, okay. sort of coming back to the natural side of things. It feels like you can attract nature with all of those. That's really true. All of those things. Maybe that's why people like them. What do you think were the things that people really didn't like or sneered their nose at? Fake grass. <sighs> Those are the top two. <laughs> well done. <laughs> gnomes, oh my God, gnomes came out as, Yeah, gnomes came out as the top thing that people didn't like, which I think is understandable. They're quite de- divisive. Mm, yeah. Um, I know a lot of people really love them and will fill their garden with gnomes. Um, and then other people, I can see why people might like yeah. them or not so what else um, was on the list marmite, i think aren't they and then fake grass was second um number three was plastic ornaments yeah. which again plays in so it is i think people really moving towards that natural thing and kind of not liking so much the unnatural stuff mm. um number four fake animal bird statues e.g flamingos <laughs> oh god <laughs> it's quite specific yeah, yeah really specific <laughs> It's weird that that came out fourth, like, of all the people, how many of them were like, oh, I really hate those flamingo statues. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the ones that surprised me a little bit, number nine, recycled old tyres as plant containers. And I feel like Mm. as gardeners and veg gardeners, a lot of people like doing that. And I thought that people would like that as a trend and a bit of a I do wonder, though, if people worry about chemicals leaching 
out of the plastic the plastic the whatever the whatever tires are made out of rubber yeah (laughs) out of that into your soil and I that's true I don't know maybe that's a concern that people have number eight was a hot tub which my mum's just got a hot tub I would not yeah I'd have thought people would love a hot tub but maybe not um and number 10 was pub in a shed what? Which I'd never thought about having a pub in a shed, but just I seeing those that words people written loved down, a like, this a is a good idea. I yeah. know like two people um, who have made a pub in their shed since lockdown, which I mean, you may have thoughts on that, but if you want a pub in your shed, just go for yeah, it. Yeah, I the pub garden to your garden. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. There's also a competition, isn't there? Like, I'm trying to google it without much success at the moment thanks to my internet but um there's actually a shed competition with people turning their shed into cool stuff and there's always loads and loads of garden pub entries yeah I think it's quite popular so I'm really surprised that's on the list but I thought that was quite interesting I mean like it is it was only 2,000 people so Mm. I'm not sure (laughs) how accurate that is but yeah, they just have very strong opinions it's on... It's a little good snapshot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's what I've been reading about this week. Yeah. I do say, though, people are very opinionated in the outdoor. Like, I think I read a statistic <laughs> recently, which I shared with both of you, which was like 88% of people think they have great taste in like their outdoor area or something. And me and you were like, really? Well, they don't. <laughs> they think so. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I suppose that's I guess the thing. If you Everybody like what you, can, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. the garden you love. Put, yeah, you're not gonna put something outside and then be like, "Oh, my taste is horrible." Like, I don't know. <laughs> you're gonna believe in your good yeah. taste, so. And we'll just see when gnomes and plastic flamingos come back into fashion. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be we'll waiting. Get a little resurgence, yeah. yeah, along with like mullets and. I don't know, other weird trends that have happened throughout time. <laughs> Bell-bottom jeans. We'll see how yeah, well this podcast no. ages. <laughs> um, it's a really busy time of the year, so I've got some jobs on the plot. Yes. So I guess I will get on with those now. We will leave you to it. Quick maturing crops will be yielding their returns this month. And those that are slower to produce pickings will benefit from training, feeding and watering too. Keep an eye out for pests and diseases, stopping any attacks that might dare to invade your plot. Vigilance at this time will pay dividends during late summer and autumn when the harvests come rolling in. If you haven't got round to it yet, then it's time to move veg outside. You can give your plants a flying start by watering them and your chosen spot well, about an hour or so beforehand so that moisture reserves of both the plant and the site are topped up. Tease out any congested roots and make sure your crop is neither too deep nor too shallow in its hole. Firm it in place gently and to make watering simpler, you can create a small circular dip around the outside to act as a moat when water is added or sink an upturned plastic bottle reservoir next to each plant. You may have noticed that orchard fruit trees are naturally shedding their poor quality fruitlets this month, leaving the healthy types with more room to continue growing. This is known as the June drop. Once this has happened, look at the trees yourself and thin out any excess that remain to make way for big, plump and round fruits later in the summer. Keep on top of your weeding duties this month and have your hoe at the ready. 
On warm sunny days, uprooted weed seedlings dry out and die quickly. Little and often should be your mantra when taking on this chore as this will stop a sudden overtaking of plants. If you've been busy enjoying a crop of asparagus recently, it's a good idea to stop cutting your spears around now to allow them to recover for next season. The general advice says that you should only harvest asparagus for about 8 to 10 weeks after your first picking, which depending on where you are in the country could have been any time from April onwards. If you're anything like me, as soon as the hot weather arrives at this time of the year, it's salads every day of the week, and as a result, I ask a lot of my cut and come again leaves. So once you've given them a thorough haircut, be sure to liquid feed and water well to get a new flush of growth. I love June because it's time to lift up those first early new potatoes that are always packed with flavour. Gently ease up the plant once leaves start to yellow to discover the treasure of spuds beneath the surface. They taste fantastic when drizzled with melted butter and the crunch of black pepper. And finally, don't fall into the trap of thinking that sowing is only a job for spring, because it isn't. If you just do one batch in March or April, then come now, salad leaves, annual spinach, turnips, radish and other quick maturing crops will be burning out and you'll be left with distinct gaps in your kitchen repertoire. Avoid having too much of the same produce at the same time by sowing little and often, making short drills every two or three weeks. And while you're at it, choose varieties that mature at different times to push the harvest window open even further. Have a wonderful week on the plot and until next time, happy growing. Thanks again for listening to The Dirt and don't forget to subscribe for free to make sure you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcast and don't forget to tell your allotment neighbours. We have some really exciting guests coming up and one of them could be you. Do you or someone you know have some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny disasters on the plot? Email thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk to let us know. Plus, as a special treat for a monthly dose of trusted gardening advice from the whole Grow Your Own team, we've got an exclusive offer just for the Dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash pod G, that's P-O-D-G, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote pod g to get three issues of grow your own magazine for just six pounds and every issue comes with a selection of free seeds check the episode notes for details and terms